Well, turn in your Bible tonight to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. I've had a good time today, as I always do when I come to Lexington and come to Clay's Mill, come to the college, and uh, appreciate so much what you're doing here. And, uh, you know, uh, Brother Fugit mentioned this morning about standing and withstanding. You know, a lot of folks start stuff. And a lot of them don't finish what they start. And uh, I just want to encourage you to be a finisher. Just keep sticking in and sticking to it and doing the things that you know to do. Even on days whenever you've been picked on or, you know, something doesn't turn out right, don't, don't cash in. Don't cave in. There's, there's another day coming. Sun's still shining. God's still true. Promise is still real. And uh, we, just need to, we just need to stay in and, and stay right in where we need to be. And, uh, you know, a lot of things will go crazy, and a lot of things are going crazy. But uh, you and I don't have to ride whatever vehicle they're riding to get there. Amen? Yeah, we're going to ride in a different, different cart. <coughs> Well, Proverbs 23, Pastor, thank you for having me. I, it means the world to me to get to come in occasionally. And, uh, in fact, any time that I can be of help and that you want me here, I'm delighted and thankful for the privilege. Last March, on the 11th, I flew home from Maine. And, of course, all of the uh, junk was just starting. And I didn't, I didn't realize that day when I landed in Nashville that I was going to be staying home pretty much for a year. Uh, and the fact that in the last 12 months, I've only been airborne twice. And uh, one of those was last weekend when I flew to Florida. And uh, once in November. And I've made maybe 12 or 13 trips by car that was two, three, four hours, you know, doable by car. And, uh, but I, I've had a year at home. <laughs> oh, my, have I had myself a time just being in town after, after 25 years of preaching in uh, 60, 70. One year I preached in 94 cities. And, uh, you know, year after year after year, Betty, Betty has taken me to the Nashville airport over 1,500 times in, in 26 years. And uh, so I guess you know some of those people in the airport. I, yeah, some of them, I know them, they know me. And uh, you just, but anyway, I've enjoyed the year, even though a lot of my meetings, I've, I've got a stack now of guys that either cancel me or I cancel them. And uh, I just said, hey, hang on, we'll get to it after a while. And after a while is later. So, <laughs> but anyway, appreciate you praying for us. It means, means a lot to us. We're thankful very much so. Proverbs 23, and I begin reading with verse 19. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh, for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Buy the truth, and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. 
The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bare thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. Now, if you'll keep your Bible open, we're going to look at more than just what I've read. But uh, let's back up and look at verse 23. This is the hub around which I believe this chapter is built. And it says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Now, I told Brother Fugit a few minutes ago that I was planning to preach this because he had heard me and a few guys in the church here heard me do this uh, down at our men's conference at Sword Headquarters in Murfreesboro. I know it might have been last year or the year before. But, you know, some of the guys who came with you, Pastor, I noticed them while I was preaching it. They didn't get all of it. So I'm going to do it again tonight just for them. Amen? <laughs> now, uh, 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 Monday when I was coming back from Florida, <coughs> checked in the airport early and uh, got, a, got on the plane. And the pilot said, now, uh, he said, we're going to get airborne here in a minute, but he said, tighten your seatbelt because he said, uh, we're, we're going to have some turbulence. <laughs> now, sometimes, you know, sometimes I preach sermons that have got a little bit of turbulence in them, and uh, th this one might have just a little bit of turbulence in it, so you may want to tighten your seatbelt, and uh, we'll, we'll be all right. Now, uh, let, let, me, let me preface where we're headed here. There was a time in the early days of my, of my preaching and my ministry as a pastor, there was a time when I said and said many times, the battle lines are being drawn. Well, I've stopped saying that. I've corrected just a little bit, and what I've said, what I say now is the battle lines are drawn. They're very clearly drawn. They're drawn between, between God on one hand Satan on the other. You're either on one team or you're on the other. The battle lines are drawn between good and evil, between right and wrong, between false and true, between Bible Christianity and just worldly liberal nonsense. The battle lines are drawn between Scripture and culture, between hot and cold, uh, between compassion on one hand or complacency on the other. Those battle lines are drawn. And what we have in the text verse here, he says, buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Now, you, you see that there are four, four commodities there. Four commodities. The first one is truth. Now, if something is true, like 2 plus 2 equals 4, that's true. No matter what the give everybody an award crowd says, no matter what the uh, nobody can fail crowd says, 2 plus 2 equals 4. That's true. It's always true. Uh, and, and, and many other things could be noted. The Bible says in the beginning, God created. That's true. No matter what the 
Darwinians and other misled people think, that's true. Now, the Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. That's, that's on one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is there is a, an opposite of truth, an antithesis of truth, and that's falsehood. And our, our world is loaded with falsehoods. The term that has become common is fake news. <laughs> well, there's a lot of fake everything. And there is, a, there is a difference. He's telling us here, don't buy the falsehoods, buy the truth. Second thing he says is buy wisdom. Now, if you do not have wisdom, the antithesis is foolishness. And I'm not sure there's a whole lot in between. Wisdom or playing the fool. And uh, if, if we, you say, well, why, why do we need to buy wisdom? We need to get hold of the truth. Then, then we've got the facts. But a lot of folks have the facts and they do not have the discretion to use what they have. And when God gives us wisdom, then, then we have some ability to manage the truth that is in our possession. If a person knows, for example, they know what the truth is out of the Bible about creation, about the scripture, about prophecy, about salvation, about baptism, about the church, about the second coming. They have all of that information in hand. But if they say, well, and they wind up signing up someplace that doesn't believe half of that, or maybe any of it at all, they put their money in an offering plate to support something entirely different. You say, what's the problem? They've got the truth, but they don't have the wisdom to use it. The third thing that he tells us here is to buy instruction. Now, if you get the truth and if you get wisdom, it will come from someone else. Um, I think I know how it was with you. I, I do know how it was with me. The day I was born, I had everything to learn. I did not know for a good while that my last name was Smith <laughs> and a lot of other I, I remember my, fir my first day in school down in Carlisle County that was <laughs> I mean you're, you're, you're going you're to date me when I tell you this but, but I'm telling you when I started to school I don't think they'd ever heard of kindergarten I know they didn't have any of them there there were no preschools. So here I was at five years of age, and I well remember. Dad, Dad drove me up onto the parking lot of the school, opened the door, and told me, go through those big double doors there, and they'll tell you what to do. I was a five-year-old. <laughs> see, see, we weren't all snowflakes in those days. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, but anyway. I remember that first day of school. I walked in. Mrs. Mary Brown was my, my teacher, first, first grade teacher, second grade teacher as well. In fact, she had first and second graders in her big room. And, I, and I'll, scare, I'll scare a bunch of the educators to death here. She did not have any assistance, no, no teaching aids. Um, and she had 28, 30 first graders 27, 28, 30 second graders all in the same room. You say, how in the world did she manage that? 
She had a Bible on one corner of the desk, which she read every morning, and a big paddle on the other corner, which she used any time she wanted to. And I mean, everything went smooth. I owe that dear lady. Scared me to death. I remember sitting down on the row next to the wall, third seat from the front, and up on the, above the chalkboard, she had the ABCs. They were printed out and also written in cur cursive, and then she had the numerals after that. I looked at all that, and, I, and she began to start it right there. It scared the life. I mean, I, I, I'm saying to myself, I'll never learn all that. I'll never learn all that. Hey, a couple of weeks later, I mean, she had us reading, see Johnny run, see Susie run, all this kind of stuff. Amazing. I owe her. Why? Because she instructed me. I owe my dear mother, little teenage mother, 16 years of age when I was born. I owe my, I owe my daddy. Came back from the war when I was right at my third birthday. And uh, I, I'm telling you, I, I mean, I, I, they're preachers. They're preachers. Some of them in heaven now that I owe greatly because I took instruction from them. Took instruction from them. Pastor mentioned about sending the sword to some of your family and friends. You're looking at somebody. Somebody sent me the sword of the Lord when I was a young preacher going to a university that was badly bent wrong. I was pastor of a small church, but I'd been married just uh, about two years. And I went to the mailbox. There was a copy of the, uh, of the sword of the Lord. I'd never heard of it. The crowd I was running with, I learned later, they didn't think much of Dr. John Rice. Like they despised him. But whenever I began to get the paper, you know what happened? I, I was influenced. I took instruction off the pages of the paper. Now, I, I'm just saying truth. God tells us here, buy it. Wisdom. You, you're going you're to need some know-how to deal with what you got. And uh, where are we going to get this? Well, we're going to take instruction from folks who can instruct us. And then the fourth item here, the fourth commodity is understanding. There are things I may know the facts and I may, I may be having the wisdom to manage it well and I may have taken good instruction and, and be well on the way, but I may still not have understanding. Some things I, I, I just can't figure I know what it says, but I just can't quite figure it out. Now here, here again is where I need to say to you, don't, don't quit midstream. Hang in there. You say, I don't understand what the Bible says here. Read it and read it and read it. Stay with it. Don't give up on it. Listen, I, I don't begin to understand everything today, but I understand a whole lot more than I did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And the Bible says, get understanding. Buy it and sell it not. There, there's some things. I, I don't know about you, but... I, um, I, I, te I tease Betty <laughs> about shopping. I tease her, not harshly, but I tease her. You know, well, I, I bought this, but I didn't get it at whatever store we usually go to. Uh, wh wh where'd you get it? Well, I drove across town and saved 25 cents. <laughs> I, I tease her about that. She's a very thrifty gal, very thrifty shopper. But see, guys, and I'm going to pick on us as well, I, I shop too. Only thing is about the only thing I like to shop for is cars. I like cars. I may not be a good Christian, but I'm just telling you, I like cars. Now, uh, in fact, I was telling Pastor, he asked me about the, the red SUV that I had last time I was here. 
And I told him, I said, oh, I sold it. And he, he knew he'd heard me. I mean, I mean that, that Yukon, I mean, it was exactly what I wanted. It was the right color. It only had 23,000 miles on it when I bought it. But it had a little problem, transmission issue. Wasn't bad, but it was irritating. I took it back five times. Oh, we got it fixed. As soon as I drove it off the lot, I knew they didn't have it fixed. So I took it back a sixth time. And uh, once again, I'm there to get the, this thing fixed. As I, as I uh, pulled in and started checking in, the guy standing there with a suit and tie on, he walked up and said, man, that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, Yukon. I said, yes, sir, it is. I'm enjoying it very much. He said, you wouldn't want to sell it, would you? I said, oh, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I, I just said, there's a little transmission problem. They're going to get it fixed. And he said, look, he said, I'm the manager of the used, a huge dealership in Murfreesboro, Cadillac GMC dealership, huge dealership. He said, I'm the manager of the, uh, of the uh, used car division here. And he said, I'd love to have that on my lot. And I said, no, no, sir. I, I said, I'm enjoying it too much. He said, why don't you let me make you a price on it? Well, now, I'm going to tell you what I didn't tell him. When I bought it 10 months earlier, I, I bought it $8,000 under the blue book. So I, I was in good, good shape. He comes back and offers me a price written out. I looked at it and I said, you know, you're not quite there yet, but if you're not careful, you're going to buy this thing. He said, how much more you, uh, I got to give you? I said, another $2,500. He said, I'm going to go write you a check. I, I had to call my son to come pick me up. <laughs> I mean, I was enjoying that car. I liked the car. I mean, it was just exactly what I wanted. But I sold it. Now, I tell you that little deal because there, there's things you can get, you can use it and sell it, and it's no big deal. I mean, as much as I like cars, I'm just telling you, this is a bucket of bolts. Plastic, electronics, and, and you're, you, you, you can buy certain things like that. You can buy it, buy this, buy that, buy something else, and sell it, and sell it, and sell it, and, and nobody's hurt. But when it comes to the four commodities of Proverbs 23, 23, we buy, and we keep buying, and we never, ever sell. We do not sell truth, we do not sell wisdom, we do not sell under, uh, instruction, we do not sell understanding. We keep buying those precious commodities. Now, some people do sell out. They sell out. Some Christians, unfortunately, sell out, sometimes for popularity. It's what everybody's doing, they think. So they sell out. Uh, some people do it for pleasure. And man, <laughs> maybe it's something I like to do, man, I'm, I'm going to do it no matter what. Some, some people sell out for prosperity. And if I can make a buck, then I'll do it. They sell out. Uh, some, some people sell out for politics. Politics. You know, you break that word down. Poly means many. Many ticks. You know what a tick is. It's a blood sucker. And that's that's... That's where a lot of people are. And a lot of people sell out for politics, some for promotion. Man, I, I, man I, I'll get a better job. I'll get a big raise. I, I'll have a higher position in the company. 
Some people sell out for their peers. It's not just the teenagers who have peer pressure. We all do. Now let me, let me, let me make the point here. You should be sold out, but you ought not be a sellout. You ought to sell out to the Lord God Almighty. You ought to sell out to the Bible, sell out to Christ, sell out to the committed Christian life, living a holy, godly, dedicated Christian life. You ought to sell out to that, be sold out, but not be a sellout to the world, not sell out to the devil, not sell out to carnality. You remember the story of Daniel in chapter 5. The king said to him, you make known to me the uh, interpretation of the dream. He said, I'll clothe you in scarlet. I'll, uh, I'll make you third ruler of the kingdom. And I, I'm, I'm going to give you all of this stuff. And Daniel said, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. I'll, I'll tell you what you need to know, but, but you can't buy me, sir. And you know, you and I could learn from Daniel and just, just know, come to the place where we absolutely cannot be bought. Now, this chapter affords some illustrations for us. For example, in verse 1, it tells me that I ought to buy truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding and, and, and operate by that when I'm in the palaces of the powerful. Look at it. Verse 1 says, When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. A lot, a lot of people get in the presence of somebody who's, you know, powerful. Like, uh, you know, a political figure or somebody. They, they get in the presence of somebody like that and they just wilt. And when you and I get, I remember once, uh, we, were at a, we were at a banquet we were putting on and I had invited our mayor and he came and, uh, and it was, by my invitation, was, Betty was sitting on the left and the mayor was sitting on the right. And as we sat down and waited for our food to be served, he, he said, uh, he, he said I, I've been wanting to talk to you about, um, about that, uh, that, uh, that abortion business. Well, he knew, he knew that I was, I mean, I got a big mouth about a lot of things and that's one of them. And he said, uh, he, he said I just don't, well, I took about two minutes before I took a bite of food. And I explained that to him in terms that I think anybody could understand. And he was a very intelligent man. And he's sitting there soaking it up. And he said, you know, he said, I never thought about all that. Now, it's easy enough when somebody like that sitting at your side, it's easy enough to just, well, well, now, you know, and tone it down. No. In the presence of the powerful, truth. Wisdom, instruction, understanding ought to always be our mantra. Amen. Always. Uh, look at verses 4, 5, and 6. It says, Labor not to be rich. Uh, wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Riches certainly make thy, themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. What's all that talking about? It's talking about working out in the marketplace. When you and I get out in the marketplace, you go to MACD's or Burger King or someplace like that for breakfast or lunch, uh, you're shopping at the mall, uh, you bump into people, you have dealings with people, and whatever you do in all of those environs, 
What you do in all of those is you, you live by the truth. You live by wisdom. You, you take your Christian faith and your Christian demeanor into the marketplace. Somebody starts on a tirade of some kind using vile language or whatever. Uh, you, you don't have to sit there and smile at that. You can turn and walk away. You don't, you don't have to do that. All of these things, I mean, certainly we ought not to get involved in it. Not only that, but this passage, you drop down to verse 9, it talks about when you're confronted by a fool. Speak not in the ears of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. I do not use that word fool lightly, nor easily. But the Bible uses it quite a lot. You say, why is that? Because there's a lot of fools. There are a lot of people who deny the truth, they're not interested in wisdom. They just want to do whatever pleases them. And they're, they're, on, I mean, they're on their own agenda. They think they, my mother used to say, they think they've got the world by the tail with a downhill drag. Doing whatever pleases them. And he says, in the presence of a fool, truth will serve you well. Wisdom will serve you well. Instruction will serve you well. Understanding will serve you well. Look at verse 10. It's talking about property lines. Remove not the ancient landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. You know those, those landmarks marking the boundaries of property. Uh, 150 years ago here in this country, it might just be a, a rock that they set in a spot or maybe drive a wooden stake in. And you know if you've got a neighbor who's a little bit crooked, he might come in the dark of the night and move that two feet. Three months later, he might come and move it another few feet. Next thing you know, he's got some of your land, and he'll sit there and argue with, well, there's a stake. This passage says don't move the landmark. Even to this day, probably if you have a house and lot, chances are very good somewhere there's some metal spikes uh, marking the boundaries. Now, if somebody comes along and messes with that, you have to get it resurveyed to get it right. But at the same time, what he's saying is here to us, when it comes to property, live by the truth, live by wisdom, live by instruction, live by understanding. Four precious commodities. Not only that, but when you're raising a child. Look at verse 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child. For thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. Now, you say, hey, I'm not in favor of beating anybody. Well, you've got to understand the usage of the word there. This, this is not advocating anybody mistreat anybody. We're not advocating anybody abuse a child. I'll tell you what is abuse is whenever you don't apply the Board of Education to the seat of learning. When a child never has corporal, I didn't say capital, when a, when a, when a child never has any corporal punishment, they're missing something that they need. We're all born with a sinful nature. Selfish, anger, I mean, a lot of things come out if we don't get that corrected. Some of you probably have had what we call self-willed children. Well, everybody's like that to some degree. Our daughter was born first, and she, she was such a compliant child from the time she was a little bitty thing. You could just look at her across the room and give her a nod, and she'd go do whatever you wanted her to do. And I, I was about to think, man, this, this, being, this being dad's a bit, I mean, this is great. 
And then two years later, we had a son born. Brother Fugit knows him pretty well. Joel knows him. Jeremy, these guys know him pretty well. And you'd never believe, being around him today, that he was a hard-nosed, self-willed child. But he was. He's one of the finest Christian men that I know. And I say, I mean, if he is my son, I don't know of anybody that's any finer Christian than he is. But I'm going to tell you something. He arrived on the scene and he decided to take over at our house. <laughs> there was a while there when I thought he might actually achieve it. But the problem was, and what he didn't know was, he had a daddy and he had a mother that were just bound and determined that we weren't going to let him ruin himself. And it didn't all happen overnight. But we did what was necessary again and again and again until it came. And I'm telling you, long before he became a teenager, we, we sailed through the teenage years. I mean, best, best of buddies. We, we didn't have any teenage problems because we settled them back there when he was a little guy in kindergarten. And uh, you say, yeah, he, he, got his, he got his backside dealt with. We, we, we hammered him a few times <laughs> and got the job done. And I mean done it right. No, no abuse, but we did it right. By the way, you don't have to use a club. You can use a little old plastic fly swat and get much, much results that you want. <laughs> he got to the place where we just reached for the fly swat and he'd go to run to do what we told him to. <laughs> anyway, I didn't mean to get terribly involved there. But I'm just saying, hey, if we had not had the Bible, but we did, we had the truth, and we were beginning to garner some wisdom, and we got instruction. Hey, I remembered how my dad was. I remember, Betty remembered how her dad and mom were. And consequently, we had the instruction, and we just dealt with it. When you're raising your children, listen to me. Don't, don't, don't give up. No matter what kind of headaches they are. And I, I mean, if he's 15 years old and still giving you a heartache, don't give up. Live by the truth. Live by wisdom. Live by instruction. Live by understanding. It'll get there. Then there's another... Two, two sections here in this chapter that talk about when, when liquor's flowing. When liquor's flowing. What, what do I need to know about that? Well, you need to know the truth. You, you need to have wisdom about that. So, you know, some well, well, now, you know, I, I'm not going to become a drunk, but I, I'll just sip a little here or there. Hey, listen. Wisdom says don't touch it. Amen. Truth says don't touch it. I remember my dad long before he got right with God saying, son, don't ever wrap your hand around a beer bottle. Don't ever wrap your hand, don't, 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 I mean, don't, don't ever wrap your hand around a beer can. Well, I thought my daddy knew everything. He didn't, but I thought he did. And I said, if daddy said don't do it, I won't do it. I didn't, I haven't, and I won't. I took instruction. And this passage here deals with that. It says, I mean, who hath contentions? Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? It's the guy who lingers long at the wine. That wine, that, that liquor, at last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. 
And then there's one more thing here. There's a section here on when women, what he calls strange women. And guys, I don't think this lets us off the hook either. I think the instruction given here about this applies to the moral fiber of all of us. And he's just telling us, don't misbehave. God's told us how to live singularly moral lives. Just do it. Pray for wisdom that you'll apply the truth. Pressure comes, temptation comes. Have the wisdom to apply the truth. Take the instruction. You get it from this pulpit. You, you get it from others. Apply the instruction. So, when this text says, buy the truth and sell it not, what I'm saying to you tonight is, I'm, I'm buying. I'm still buying. And I'm not selling. You, you, want, you want me to go down the trail and, and get on some doctrinal bunch of nonsense? I, I, I'm not going to go. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to say I'm the great example on anything. I'm just saying it's the resolve of my heart. It's the commitment that I've made that I'm going to walk where truth is, seek the wisdom of God, listen to those who are rightly should be instructors for me, and I'm going to keep asking God, help me to understand. I want to understand. And day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, I want these four commodities to be a part of my fiber, a part of my being, a part of my character. And I'm advocating it for you. <coughs> my, my parents are both gone now, and Betty's as well. When my, when my folks, both, when both of them were gone, they left us a little 50-acre farm and other things. They were not wealthy people, but they, they had an estate. We sold everything and uh, shared that between uh, my three brothers, my sister and myself, five of us. Betty's family died. Uh, her dad also had a 50-acre farm uh, that they had lived on since 1936. <coughs> they would raised their kids, been married more than 60 years. And, uh, and she, Betty has six brothers, no sisters, but six brothers. And so we sold everything they had when, when her parents died, and they divided it up among the seven. They, too, they were not wealthy people, but all of us got a little something from both estates. Betty and I got something from my folks' estate, got some from her folks' estate. It was not huge amounts of money, but it, but it, was, it was a nice little uh, inheritance and estate. You say, what's that about? My mom and dad spent all of the years from 1957 forward there on that farm that we call the home place. They, they spent all of their life there building, building on that, doing what they, investing their life and accruing everything they possibly could. Betty's parents did the same thing from 1936 forward. And whenever, whenever they died, everything they had got divided up among their children because they left an estate. Now, what I'm advocating tonight is every one of us are building an estate. We ought to build it out of truth and wisdom and instruction and understanding. And if you have children or grandchildren, 
or others that you influence. Whenever you're dead and gone, what you have to leave behind, if it's a car, they'll wear it out. It'll be gone in a little while. If it's a piece of property, they might use it a while. They might sell it and use the money, and that'll all be gone. But if you, if you, if you provide for them truth, I mean a legacy of truth and wisdom and instruction and understanding, it'll last them for a lifetime. I'm buying. I'm not selling. You buy a, buy a car, somebody comes along, offers you a little money for it, sell it. You got a house, somebody comes along, offers you a big profit, you want to sell it, go ahead and sell it. It's no big deal. But when it comes to these four commodities, buy, 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 buy. Never, ever sell. Never, ever sell. Never, ever sell. Never, ever sell. I'm buying, not selling. I want you to do the same. Let's stand up. We'll pray.